Amen. You can be seated this evening. If you have your Bibles with you, you could turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. We'll be there looking there at God's Word today. Now, <laughs> it's, a, it's a great occasion that we get to all come together, not only to worship, not only to hear God's Word and pray together, but we get to witness this thing that we call baptism, this ordinance of the new covenant, this thing that our Lord has instituted, that He's given it to His church as a sign of God's covenant of grace, this work of the new covenant. And so as we come together this morning, before we see this event, it's important that we rightly understand what's happening. (laughs) Because I think if you were to go out on the street and ask someone, what is baptism? You would get as many different answers as people that you asked, right? You would, somebody would say this, somebody would say that. And I think that there's kind of two main extremes that people tend to fall into. There's a sort of what I call a superficial understanding of baptism, that it's merely just something that we do. We see people do it, and that's really all that it is. We're told to do it, and so we should just do it. It's sort of superficial. It's sort of an empty sign. It doesn't really have much meaning or purpose. It's just something that we do. And I think the other extreme that can tend to fall into is what I call the superstitious view. (laughs) The superstitious view where there's somehow magic in the water and it's somehow doing something to you that's magical or mystical even. And so we don't want to fall into either of those extremes, superficial understanding or superstitious understanding. But we want to understand this rightly. And so a lot of questions can come onto our head is, okay, if that's the case, what is baptism? What is it? What does it mean? Why does someone get baptized? What is it signifying? What is it showing forth? Why is it important? And my goal this evening is to show us that as we look to God's word, we'll see that baptism is what we call a means of grace. It's a means of grace. It's an ordinance of the new covenant, a visible picture of the promises of Christ in the new covenant. That all those that are united to Christ by faith in his life, in his death, in his burial, in his resurrection, have been saved from the judgment and the wrath of God for their sin. And actually, they've been made new creations, not by their own strength, but by the power of the Spirit. And baptism pictures this in a very visible way. So I'm going to read our passage this evening. I'm going to pray for us, and then we will look to God's Word. So I'm going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 22. This is the Word of the Lord. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight, persons were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for um, this ordinance of baptism that you've given your church. We pray this evening that you would illuminate your word, that you would open the eyes of our hearts to see clearly what you have for us in your word, and that by your spirit you would strengthen us today, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Now, if you listen closely to that passage, you might be scratching your head a little bit if you listen really closely, because there's something very interesting. There's a wording in this passage that can often trip us up, and it's what happens in verse 21. It says, baptism now saves you, okay? So if some of you kind of had your ears turned on, you're saying, wait a second, I thought we were saved by grace alone, through faith alone. What is Peter saying here? Is he somehow contradicting this teaching of the whole rest of the whole Bible that we're saved by faith alone, not by works. And so you might be scratching your head. Did I hear that right? Is that right, Peter? And so I promise we're going to get to that, okay? But it's important that we understand the whole context of this passage and really the significance and the importance of baptism. And I think that will bring great great clarity to not only what Peter is saying here in chapter 3, but also to what we're about to witness in the baptism of Adam. And so it's interesting, if you notice this, that Peter, when he wants to explain the significance and the importance of baptism... He doesn't go to John the Baptist. He doesn't go to the teaching of Jesus, but he goes to the Old Testament. He goes to the Old Testament. He goes to the story of Noah. And he says in verse 21, baptism, which corresponds to this. And what he's referring back to is what he talked about in the previous verse, which is Noah, the ark, and the flood. Noah, the ark, and the flood. He's talking about the story of Noah. Now, many of us are probably familiar with the story of Noah, right? If you've been to Sunday school at all, you've probably, you know, had the little felt things and, you know, you have all the animals two by two. Everybody's familiar with the story of Noah for the most part. But Noah, I mean, Peter doesn't talk about the animals. He doesn't talk about that. What is he referencing back to? We're all familiar with the story, but it's not a very Sunday school kind of kid-friendly story, honestly. (laughs) What's happening is the world is being filled with sinners, with people that have sinned against God. It says that wickedness is increasing, that evil is continually in the hearts of man. And so the earth is full of wickedness and evil and sin. And because of this, God is going to send this flood, these waters of judgment, to wipe out everyone and everything. It's a pretty sobering story if we take the time To look at it, God in these waters of judgment is going to destroy everything. The wrath of God on sin. But we see that God in his infinite mercy makes a way for some to be saved from this judgment. He makes a way for some to be saved from this judgment. Namely, Noah. Noah and those that are with him are able to pass safely through these waters of judgment by being found in the ark. By being found in the ark. They're able to pass through safely these waters of judgment because Noah and those with him are found in the ark. It's this type of salvation through judgment. And Peter here is saying that baptism corresponds to this. 
Baptism corresponds to this. The Greek word is antitypos. It's antitype. It's prefiguring. It's, it's saying it's correspond. Baptism is corresponding to what happened in the flood of Noah. Or we could say it like this. What was pictured in Noah and his family passing through the waters of judgment and being saved was a picture. It was a type. It was a shadow. It was pointing to something greater and higher than itself. They were saved from watery judgment. God's people are saved from much more. And so Peter is telling us that baptism is not an empty sign. It's not a dead ceremony. It is, in fact, a vivid picture pointing us to the fulfillment in the person and work of Christ and what he has done for sinners. And if you keep reading the story of Noah, right, you find you have the rainbow event and God promises to never flood the earth again. He says, I'm never going to flood the earth again. But that doesn't mean that God is not going to return in judgment. If we read the rest of the scriptures, we see that God is indeed going to return again in his glory, in his holiness, in his justice to judge the earth and all that's in it. This is what we call the great last day of judgment, where all will stand before the Lord, every sin exposed, every deed laid bare, where everyone will stand before the judgment of God, the one who knows all things, who sees all things. And the truth is, if we're honest with ourselves, in and of ourselves, we deserve judgment because we're sinners. We're, we're sinful and we stand condemned before a holy God. We've fallen short. As Paul will say in Romans, none is righteous, no, not one. No one does good. No one seeks after God. This is the truth of humanity. And so there's this big problem for us. If this judgment is true, we, like the people of Noah's day, deserve the judgment that is due us for our sin. We deserve God's wrath against our sin. God is holy and we are not. And we will be judged if we stand in and of ourselves. But the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that God is not only holy, but he's also merciful. He is gracious. He is kind to sinners like you and I. And in the fullness of time, he sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross took the judgment that you and I deserve. He took the sin upon himself and paid for it in full. The perfect and just wrath of God for sinners like you and I. He bore the judgment that you and I deserved. He went through the judgment waters of death itself for his people Why? So that you and I might be saved from our sins. So that you and I might pass through safely. And so this is why Peter links baptism and Christ and Noah. This is why Peter links these things together. Why is he doing this? Because just as the ark preserved those who were found in it, they preserved them safely through these waters of judgment. All those that are found in the Lord Jesus Christ will also be saved from the judgment. 
just as they were preserved in the ark through these waters of judgment, also God's people will be saved. When they put their faith in Christ, they will be saved from the coming judgment. That by faith, God's people are united to Christ in his life, in his death, in his burial, and in his resurrection. And this is what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 4. This is what we read. Do you not know that you've been united to him in his death? That his death is our death. His life is our life. His resurrection is our resurrection. And so what is happening in baptism is a vivid picture. It's a visible word of this reality. An image of going under the waters of judgment with Christ and coming out of the water vindicated, saved, delivered, redeemed. That we in and of ourselves, in our sin, you and I deserve judgment. But because of Christ taking our judgment on himself, we are saved. Our sin is forgiven. Our conscience is cleansed. We are made new by God. And so what we are saying in baptism is that we have been saved from the judgment. The judgment has already happened on the cross of Christ. And there's no judgment left for God's people. But this isn't the only thing that we see in baptism. It's not just a salvation from judgment, but it's a picture of new creation in Christ by the Spirit. That this baptism not only shows us the judgment that God's people have been saved from, but it pictures this washing and cleansing, this new work of the Spirit that has begun in the hearts of God's people. This is what we read in Ezekiel chapter 36, right? I will give you a new heart. I will put my spirit within you. I will cleanse you from all your uncleanliness. These are all I will things. God is going to do it. It's not Adam. It's not you or I. It's God that's going to act. He is going to cleanse his people. He is going to make them new. And so what baptism is shouting as it's being done is new creation in Christ. Salvation from sin, cleansing, new birth, union with Christ, and new life. That God has done something. That's what it's saying. It's not talking about anything that Adam has done. It is about what God has done. From death to life. Taking a heart of stone, replacing it with a heart of flesh. Cleansed from sin, made new by the Spirit. And that's why Paul can say, if anyone is in Christ, what is he? A new creation. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And so this is why we can say what we said at the beginning, that baptism is a means of grace. It's a means of grace. That's why it's important that we see the significance and the true meaning of what baptism is. That in baptism... It is a visible picture of God's covenant promises made visible to our faith. And so if someone was to ask you, okay, Kendall, what's the new covenant like? What are the promises of the new covenant? You would say cleansing, new life in Christ, union with him, forgiveness of sins, salvation from the judgment that you and I deserve. That's what the new covenant has promised. And so baptism shows that forth. And so This is why Peter can say what he says. This is why Peter can say baptism now saves you. Not by any virtue in it, right? Not as a removal of dirt from the body. Not because it takes away our original sin or regenerates us or not because of anything in me. Why? 
but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. Only by the blessing of Christ and only by the working of the Spirit in those that receive it by faith. For those that receive baptism by faith, it is a means of grace. And so we can still say we are saved by grace alone through faith alone. But God uses means to strengthen and increase the faith of his people. To grow them in their faith by pointing them, what? To their works? No. The finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. That just as the word being preached points us to Christ, in the same way, baptism and the Lord's Supper also. So that's why Peter can say baptism now saves you. Not because there's something magic in the water, but because faith in Christ saves us. And baptism strengthens and increases that. Not only for the one that is going under the waters, but for those that remember their baptism and remember what Christ has done in their life. Just as Christ descended into the depths of death for us and for our salvation and was vindicated by his resurrection, so too in baptism we descend under the waters of death, but because of Christ are raised up, vindicated, raised to newness of life. And so as we step away from this passage and as we prepare to uh, witness this, it's important that we see the three voices that are speaking in baptism. The three voices that are speaking in baptism. The first of them is the voice of God. Do you hear it? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I thought I'd get somebody. Okay. The voice of God in baptism. Okay, it's not an audible voice, okay, but it is the voice of God speaking in his ordinance of baptism that this is not a man-made invention. This is not something that man came up with. It is instituted and ordained by God himself, a sign given to his people saying all who would come to Christ by faith will be saved from the judgment that is to come. They'll be united to Christ in his life and his death, his burial and his resurrection. This was instituted by our Lord so that we could have our faith strengthened. This is the voice of God in baptism. The second voice we hear is the voice of the believer. The voice of the believer. That in baptism, Adam will be making a public declaration of his faith and desire to follow him, not himself. He's saying, I'm a follower of Christ. I'm not going to follow myself. I'm not going to follow my own desires. I'm going to follow Christ and his ways. It's an appeal to God for a clean conscience. It's an admission that he's sinful, that he's guilty before a holy God, and that he needs to be cleansed by the Lord Jesus Christ. It's running to Christ, as Paul will say in Romans chapter 10, with the heart one believes and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. It's Adam saying, I believe the promise that baptism makes visible. What baptism is showing, I believe that promise. I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we hear the voice of God, first and foremost. We hear the voice of the believer And finally, we hear the voice of Christ's church. We hear the voice of Christ's church, the congregation. 
that the normal practice that we see in the New Testament is that baptism and membership go together. That baptism and membership go together. They're not to be separated. That baptism and membership into a local church go together. That when God saves someone and they make a credible profession of faith, it is the Christ-ordained role of the local church to affirm their profession of faith and welcome them into the visible body of Christ by baptism and membership. Saying, we believe that God has done something. We believe that you've repented of your sins. We believe that you've been made new in Christ. We're not baptized as isolated individuals. We're not baptized, you know, it's not just, Adam, we're going to baptize you and then see you later, buddy. No, it's not that. It's not isolated. It is connected with Christ church, the visible saints that are gathered locally. And this is why we call baptism an entrance ordinance. It's an entrance into Christ's church. It's a sign of entrance into the new covenant in Christ's blood, just as baptism, just as the Lord's Supper is an ordinance of fellowship that's to be repeated continually. And so we see that this is how God saves his people. This is how he preserves his people. This is how he works. Dead sinners who deserve judgment hear the voice of the Son of God and live. They are given a new heart. They believe the gospel and are saved. They repent of their sin and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. They are baptized. They enter the local church where they are discipled, where they are grown in their faith, taught all that the Lord has commanded. They regularly partake of the Lord's Supper, showing their fellowship and communion, not only with Christ, but with his people, the church, where they're lovingly corrected when they sin and quickly forgiven when they repent. This is the means that God has ordained to save and change his people. This is how the Lord works. This is how our faith is confirmed, strengthened, and assured. And this is what baptism is. And so as we come to see this, this great event, let's remember these things. Let's remember what God's word has to say. And let's remember that Christ has done it all. This is pointing to his finished work on the cross That's what Adam is saying by partaking of this. So let's pray and then we will um, move on to the next section. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your word. And we thank you for your word made visible. That you've given your church baptism and the Lord's Supper these visible words of the promises of the new covenant. That just as the Lord's Supper shows us Christ's body and blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins, baptism shows us the cleansing, the renewal, and the salvation from the judgment that our sin deserves in a visible picture that strengthens and increases the faith of God's people. Not only those that go under the water, but those that remember what God has done in their life. That as surely as our outward body is washed by the water, that when we receive Christ by faith, we will be saved from the judgment. That as surely as our external body is cleansed by the water, when we receive Christ by faith, we are cleansed of all of our sins, given a clean conscience before God, able to approach the throne of grace. This is all because of what Christ has done. And so we praise you and thank you. 
And we pray that you would strengthen us now by your spirit, we pray. In Christ's name.